Welcome to the Beltline Church of Christ podcast. We're so glad you found us. Please take a second and hit the subscribe button so that you can be notified of these weekly podcasts. Most of all, we hope this podcast will help you take your next step with Jesus. If you want to know more about us, you can visit us at www.beltlinechurchofchrist.org. Here's today's lesson. We're in Mark chapter 5, and so if you want to be opening your Bibles, I want to encourage you uh, to come to this incredible section of Scripture. In fact, this is slowly becoming uh, my most favorite section of Scripture when it comes to Jesus. I know I say that a lot, but I've actually written extensively on this. I just literally finished a book on this very topic, and so one day maybe we'll do something with it, but at least it's finished, right? Uh, But I love this section of Scripture. It is so, so good. And I want to turn your attention to verse 21 of Mark chapter 5. Here's what the text says. And when Jesus crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him, earnestly saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. As Jesus gets out of the boat, a man named Jairus, and I need you to get this today, Jairus' name is important. The name Jairus actually means God's, God enlightens or God awakens. And I just want you to think about that because this is going to be so important to our story later. God enlightens or God awakens. Jairus is a ruler of the synagogue and his name is about to become a reality. Beyond anything this guy could have imagined, he's going to be enlightened by the Son of God. Now, most of you know that I have an incredible daughter. Uh, She is 15 years old, three years older than the little girl in this story, and she is one of the greatest blessings that God has ever given Cindy and myself. She's always been a healthy and a happy child, and honestly, I I started thinking about this. If this was my daughter... If Julie was sick and near death like Jairus' daughter, what would I do? That thought kept running through my mind. How would I go about, how would I handle myself? I don't know. I don't know what I would do. And praise the Lord, I've not had to deal with that. And I hope that I never have to. But here's one thing I know. There is no desperation like the desperation of a parent for their child, right? I'm not telling anything you don't know. There is no desperation like that of a parent for their child. And so when Jesus' boat finally lands on the shore, there is Jairus waiting for him. And we're told in the text what happens next. He falls at Jesus' feet and he begs him to come and save his little girl. Now we don't know much about Jesus other than his role, Jairus, excuse me, other than his role in the synagogue. But we do know there has been a mixed response to Jesus so far, right? Uh, Some have said he's somebody significant, he's somebody special. Others, they just don't know what quite to do with Jesus. The common people seem to love Jesus, but those religious elites, man, they they couldn't stand him. And and it certainly appears that Jairus believed in Jesus as some kind of miracle worker. And, And that makes a lot of sense because if we only take the book of Mark, Jesus has done some significant things already that made his popularity grow, right? In Mark chapter 1, for instance, Jesus heals a man with an unclean 
unclean spirit. He heals Peter's mother-in-law and he cleanses a leper all in chapter 1. In chapter 2, he heals a paralyzed man. In chapter 3, he heals a man with a withered hand. In fact, verse 10 of chapter 3 tells us that great crowds followed Jesus because, uh, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him because he healed many. Mark 4, he calms a storm. In Mark 5, at the beginning, he, he heals a guy who has a legion of demons. And so Jairus, if he hadn't witnessed these things, certainly he had heard about these uh, miraculous things that were going on with Jesus. And so the question is, was it desperation or was it faith that led him to Jesus that day? Was it desperation as a parent that led him to Jesus? Or did he have some faith in him? I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if we can say for sure. But I, I do think it's safe to say one thing. I think Jairus knows that Jesus is his last hope. I think Jairus knows that if Jesus doesn't come, his little girl is not going to make it. She is as good as dead. And so I can only imagine what must have gone through Jairus' mind when Jesus agrees to walk with him, to go with him, right? Maybe for the first time in a long time, there's a glimmer of hope that begins to spring up in Jairus' heart. Uh, but, but here's the thing. Not only does the text tell us that Jesus went with Jairus, if you look at the end of verse 24, it tells us something else. It says that this great crowd comes along too. There's this crowd of people who are following. This crowd eager to see another miracle. This crowd is eager to see another show and they're pressing in on Jesus. Can you imagine how that must have slowed the progress back to Jairus's house? I have to believe that Jairus is beside himself uh, urging Jesus to break free from this crowd so that he can get to where his little girl is dying. She's sick. She's near death. Jesus, you got to come. Break away from this crowd. Can you imagine what desperation you would have felt if you were the father in this story? I can only speculate about what Jairus was thinking. But I can say with absolute certainty that Jesus walked with Jairus during the worst moment of his life. Every agonizing step that Jairus took, Jesus took with him. Jairus did not take one step alone as he hurried to his daughter's side. And so here's the point. Neither will you. Neither will you. You do not take one step alone uh, in your life either. Listen, God may not always answer our prayers and please in the time frame that we want. And he may not even answer our prayers the way that we want him to answer them. But rest assured, the, the, the scripture is clear. The promise of Jesus is true. He will walk with us through our darkest hour, through the valley of the shadow of, the of death, through the dark night of the soul. Remember those words in verse 24. Highlight them, underline them, circle him, do something with him. But Jesus walked with Jairus. He went with him. So, when the doctor brings the news, when the doctor brings the news you didn't want to hear, and he went with him. When your child breaks your heart and abandons their faith, and he went with him. When you hold the rose and place it on the casket of your spouse. And he went with him. When the addiction wins again. And he went with him. 
when the promotion goes to someone less qualified and he went with him. It doesn't matter what situation you find yourself in. Jesus is walking with you. He did it with Jairus and he'll do it with us as well. Let's read a little bit further in our story. Verse 25. And there was a woman in this crowd that was following Jesus who had a flow of blood, who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Interesting. She's had this problem as long as Jairus' little girl has been alive. 12 years. Can you imagine? She had suffered much under many possessions and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garments. For she said, if I touch his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched me? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. For more than 12 years, this woman had been unclean. For more than 4,380 days, anywhere this woman went, anything she touched, anything she accidentally brushed up against became unclean as well. For 4,380 days, she was not permitted to worship God with the rest of the community of believers in the temple because of her condition. I don't think we can fully understand what she had lost because of this disease. Now, this is just speculation, but if she had a husband, I can tell you right now, it is likely that he left her long ago because of this uncleanness. There are a lot of diagnoses that have been given to this woman's condition. A lot of the research points to something, and I'm going to butcher this, called menorah hagia or something like that. I'm not a doctor, and I didn't stay at a Holiday Inn Express yesterday. Menorah, I should have asked one of my doctor friends, what, what is it there, doc? You got, you got me there? Just go. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> He can't pronounce it either. That makes me feel a little better. <laughs> so this is a condition, this M thing. It's a condition that causes heavy and long menstruation as well as a cramping, severe cramping and blood loss. And so to put it mildly, it would have made her normal daily activities amazingly difficult. Amazingly. Uh, causes of this are, are, are ovarian cysts, cancer, uh, clotting issues, thyroid dysfunction. There's all kinds of uh, ideas out there about what causes this disease. But most likely, this woman was very, very thin and very, very weak from 12 years of fighting this disease. And on top of that, she has spent every penny that she has searching for a cure. Every promise of healing, uh, though, hadn't come to pass. Every new doctor uh, who said he could help didn't. They continued to take away her money, but no one and nothing could take away her uncleanness. Her life was a life of isolation. It was a life of loneliness. It was a life of quarantine. Maybe you can't relate with her condition that we can't pronounce, but I have a feeling that many of you here today have experienced your own version of isolation and loneliness. And while your situation may or may not rise to what this woman felt, I have no doubt that you too know the hurt and pain and rejection of loneliness. It seems in the world that we live in that loneliness has infected more people than COVID has. 
We have the ability through modern technology to be more connected than at any other time in the history of the world. But in spite of that, according to research, we are the loneliest generation in the history of the world. Now, there are, there are some things that can be done to try to loosen the grip of loneliness, but, but most of those things take effort on the part of the lonely. And that's part of the problem, isn't it? It takes effort from those who are struggling. When you feel disconnected, isn't it just so much easier to, to, to remain in that place of disconnection than it is to reach out? It's, it's easier to not risk the embarrassment of rejection. It's easier to not put yourself out there. And so we may know that something's not right with us, but that doesn't always lead to change in our lives. And I don't remember who said this. I heard it a long time ago, but it has stuck with me. Someone said, when the pain of change is less than the pain of staying the same, some people will change. When the pain of change is less than the pain of staying the same, some people are going to venture out, right? Well, that's where we are with this woman. Uh, th that's where she is. Uh, she, she is in desperate need and desperation has caused her to leave this bed of uncleanness and step out into the streets. She's heard of Jesus. She has heard uh, of, of his abilities and the pain of staying the same has caused her to do something crazy. She decided to join the crowd. She thinks, I I've heard about what he's done for others. Maybe, maybe if I can just touch him, I can be healed. She wants to hit and run, right? She doesn't want to be seen. She wants the healing, but she doesn't want anyone to know that she's there. The crowds were a perfect cover for her. Isn't it interesting that sometimes the loneliest places in the world can be full of people? There are some people even maybe sitting in this audience today who are just feeling so alone. You got four or five hundred people sitting around you and you just feel alone. The crowds were a perfect cover for her. But remember that everyone that she accidentally bumps into now could be considered unclean in the eyes of Jewish law. And so she, she's taking an amazing risk just to get to Jesus. She's risking humiliation if people recognize her. She's risking disappointment if she reaches out and touches Jesus and it doesn't bring healing. She's risking everything to get to Jesus. And that leads me to the most important question that I can ask you today, and that is simply this. What are you willing to risk in order to get to Jesus? What are you willing to risk to get to Jesus? What are you willing to risk to get the people far from Jesus close to him? What are you willing to risk to get to Jesus? It's my experience that most of us are not risk takers. Most of us prefer to sit on the sidelines than get in the game. It's so much easier to watch than to engage. It's easier to be the armchair quarterback in the man cave or the she shed than to be in the game and take a few hits. Nobody wants to do that, right? But let me ask you something before we move on of our story. Uh, of all the heroes in the Bible, and outside of the Bible even, uh, of all of them, uh, which, which ones are known because they played it safe? Which of the heroes in Scripture are known because they, they didn't take the risk? They didn't step out. They didn't do those things. There's not a one, right? We would not be reading about them and hearing about them if they did nothing. But instead, they are remembered because they took the risk. And this woman, she had every reason in the world to stay in her house that day. But she decided to take the risk, to, to step out. She could have been so many things, right? I mean, she could, have been, she could have been angry at the world. She could have been furious with God. It would not have been unthinkable for her to say, God, why are you doing this to me? Why won't you answer my prayer? I don't deserve this. Where are you? It wouldn't have been unthinkable for those words to have come out of her mouth. Wow. 
But that doesn't appear to be who she is. She still believes. She clings to the hope that the man of God could actually heal her. And so she braves the crowd and she sneaks up on Jesus. She comes up from behind and she takes the risk and she reaches out in faith and she touches his garments. I want to say something that I think is really important. I don't think Jesus cares how you come to him. He is only concerned that you come to him. Jesus doesn't care how you get there. He's concerned that you get there. Jairus meets Jesus face to face. He is desperate for the healing of his little girl. This woman sneaks up on Jesus and in faith believes that just touching Jesus' garments will heal her. It's not how, but that they came to Jesus that matters. And so the point for us, take the risk. What do you have to lose? And there's something I want you to notice about Jesus. Jesus isn't affected by her uncleanness like everybody else, right? In every other situation, touching a demon-possessed man uh, like we see in Mark 5 earlier, or being touched by this woman would have made a person unclean. Instead, with a word or a touch, Jesus doesn't become unclean. Cleanness flows from him. Strength comes from him. Healing comes from him. Power comes from him. He is the source of all of it. He was the source for this woman, and he will be the source for you too, if you will but come to him. So if you need power, if you need healing, if you need strength, then go to the one who has all of that and more to spare. Because when you reach out to him, he is not diminished in any way. Not at all. He has an endless supply of power, of healing and strength available to you. And this healing is not only available to the elite. It's not available to the one who can pay the most. It's not just for the popular. Healing is available to everyone. Everyone. And when you reach out to him in faith, like this woman, your uncleanness can be taken away too. Because the ultimate thing that makes us unclean in the eyes of God is sin. And Jesus wants to take care of that problem for you as well. Verse 35. This is called a Markin sandwich. As we think about lunch. A Markin sandwich. So the bread is Jairus. The meat is this story of the woman. And now we have the second piece of bread that puts it all together. Right? And so we get back now to the rest of the story about Jairus. When literally Jesus is speaking the words, go in peace to this woman who has been healed of her disease. Listen to what happens. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter's dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. And Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child's not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child, father and mother and those who were with him. And went in where the child was, and taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this, and told them to give her something to eat. When Jesus is literally speaking the words, go in peace to this woman who has been healed of her disease, people from Jairus' house arrive on the scene. Now you have to know, you have to know that when Jairus sees this small crowd of familiar faces coming toward him, he knows. 
He knows what that means. He sees their faces and he knows that his little girl is gone. I see him falling to his knees, crying out in uncontrollable grief. If only this woman hadn't have delayed me, maybe I would have gotten there in time. I don't know. I don't know what's going through his mind. But I want to focus on what is said here by this small group that came to Jairus. They said, your daughter's dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? How many times is that the advice we give ourselves? How many times is that the advice we give ourselves? How many times do we think, well, it's just too far gone. It's too late. God can't do anything about this one. We have an enemy that doesn't want us to run to Jesus. He doesn't want us to reach out to touch his garments. He wants us to not trouble him any further. And so when your marriage is in trouble, he whispers, it's, it just, just don't bother. It's, it's gone. It's over. It's dead. It's too far. Don't trouble the teacher with this one. When the diagnosis comes back, listen, it's over. It's just a matter of time. It's done. It's dead. It's finished. Don't trouble the teacher with this one. When your child finds themselves in trouble or, or, or in rehab, again, don't trouble. It's over. It's dead. It's never going to change. He, he wants us to hear those words. Don't trouble me. Don't trouble me. Don't trouble me. Our enemy would like nothing more than to have you think it's over. That's what he wants you to think. It's over. Don't even go there. That whatever your difficult situation is, that nothing else can be done. Please understand this too. It's not just the big things. The accuser, the Satan would like nothing more than to convince us that Jesus doesn't care about the little things in our lives. John 10 reminds us that the agenda of the enemy is to kill our spirit, to steal our joy, and to destroy our faith. Not only that, do you... Do you see that word trouble there? Don't trouble. Some, some versions use the word bother. You see, this is what he does. This is what our enemy does. He would like nothing more than to convince us that the request, any request, any interaction that we have with Jesus is simply a bother to him. Satan would love us to think that Jesus is too busy doing really important things to bother with what you got going on in your life, with your issues, with your troubles, and with your hurts. He wants us to believe that every time we call on Jesus, that Jesus is somehow thinking, oh, not him again. I'm trying to cure world hunger, and here you are asking me about this. That's what he wants us to believe, but nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing could be further from the truth. The bottom line is this, if it matters to you, it matters to him. And he invites you, he begs you to call on him, to cast your cares on him. He desires you. He desires relationship with you. Now don't ask me why, I know some of you. I, I don't know why he does that. But he desires it. You're never a bother, you're never a burden, you're never trouble. Put that thought on your, out of your mind. Call on him for the big things. Call on him for the little things. Call on him for everything in between those things. Back to our story. Had to preach a little bit there, I've been on vacation. <clears throat> You've heard it before that no parent should ever have to bury their child, right? And that's true. I've known several who've had to do just that, and it just breaks my heart. It, and it doesn't, it doesn't matter what the cause, sickness, suicide, accidents, whatever. That's a whole different level of pain. It's a whole different level. 
And so as Jesus approaches Jairus' house, the weeping and wailing had to have been unmistakable. And in these verses we just read, we're introduced to Jairus' wife, this little girl's mom for the first time. She's nameless in the story. But here's the picture that's painted in my mind, and this is just me, this is not going to, I'm not going to charge you for this. Before any of what we just read happens, and this little girl gets sick, it's her mama that's sitting at her side. Oh, Jairus is there too, but he's like a caged lion, right? He can't do anything about this sickness. He's powerless over everything that's going on. He's marching back and forth in this room where his little girl is laying ill. He is helpless. He knows there's nothing he can do physically to help his child, and it's driving him crazy. And so he, he remembers the rumors and the accounts of Jesus, and so he rushes from the house in search of the Messiah, frantic, but not mom. Now mom's at the bedside of her child, and nothing's going to drag her away. She holds her hand. She silently prays over her child. Maybe, maybe she even bargains with God. Lord, if you will get her through this, I will. We're not told what kind of sickness this little girl has, but if it's a fever, the mom is there with the cold rag on the forehead of her little girl, and she waits on her every need. And she's there when her daughter breathes her last breath. She witnesses the spirit of life leave her sweet girl. She sees the color leave her face and the unmistakable look of death come over the one she gave birth to just 12 years earlier. She is the one who sends friends out to find Jairus so that he can know what has happened. And when Jairus finally gets back to the house, I wonder what that exchange was like between him and her, Jairus and his wife. Was she angry that he left her to deal with this alone? Was she so overcome with grief that they simply fell into each other's arms in uncontrollable sobbing? Was she trying to remain strong, holding back her tears and the emotions from this growing crowd that has just showed up on her doorstep? What was her reaction to these four people that her husband has invited into her house? Jesus and Peter and Andrew and James or Peter, James, and John, no Andrew. Well, we know in the story that Jesus removes everyone from the room except mom and dad and his three disciples, and then he does the unimaginable. He takes this little girl by the hand, and he brings life back to her body. Timothy Keller said, he lifted her up through death. I love that. He lifted her up through death. And the spirit of life returns to this little girl in a big way, and she leaps up, and she begins walking and dancing around the room, as if she'd never been sick. In a moment, Jairus has gone from uncontrollable grief to uncontrollable amazement. What, what do you think that moment must have been like? <laughs> After Jesus, Jairus grabs his daughter and holds her close to him. What would you have done if it were your child? I'll tell you what I see. <laughs> I see him leaping to his feet and bear-hugging Jesus. Just, <laughs> I see him falling at his feet in tears of joy, followed by singing and dancing and endless words of thanksgiving. And as the doors open and all those mourners see the child, what must have gone through this, their mind? 
Who is this guy? How is this even possible? And when the news makes, it way, makes its way back to the crowd on the street, what must have that been like? I mean, was this newly cleansed, newly declared uh, daughter of Israel still in the crowd? Did she walk with them to see what Jesus was going to do next? I don't know. I have a feeling Jesus, Jairus, probably didn't let Jesus leave. I don't know what followed. Was it a feast? Was it an invitation for Jesus to come speak at the synagogue? I mean, after all, he says, give her something to eat. Maybe there was a huge party that got thrown that day in honor of Jesus and the healing of his little girl. Who can say? But here's what I can say. Here's what I can say. This is the amazement. This is the fate that awaits every follower of Jesus Christ. This is our fate. One day we too will be raised from the dead. One day he will lift us through death. One day we will stand in his presence. And oh, what a day that will be. It is written, what no eye has seen or ear heard, nor heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. We don't lose heart, 2 Corinthians 4 says. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. This is our fate as followers of Jesus Christ. I wonder what the next few days were like in Jairus' house. What about all those mourners? Did they come back to see if she was still alive? <laughs> Did they knock on the door? Was this a temporary thing or is she still with you, you know? Five years later, ten years later, as she walks through the city, what were people saying? There she goes. That's the one. Did Jairus become a follower of Jesus? Just my opinion. Text certainly doesn't say I think he did. You don't forget something like this. You spend the rest of your life trying to honor the man who saved the life of your child. Now fast forward with me. When the news of Jesus' death on the cross reaches Jairus' ears, what thoughts, what emotions must have flooded his heart. And three days later, as the word of Jesus' resurrection makes its way to the shores of Capernaum, maybe, just maybe, Jairus smiled and said he did it again. He did it again. And he will do it again and again and again in every life of every single believer that gives their life to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Will you be one counted in that company of faithful? Will you be one counted in that company? See, there's no reason whatsoever for you not to be included in that the only reason would be your own foolish choices of not coming to the one who loves you more than life itself. So will you today come to Jesus? If you've never given your life to him, let today be the day that you believe, repent, confess, and are baptized for the remission of your sins. If you've already given your life to Jesus, but you find yourself wandering the highway alone by yourself, you're not alone. He's there with you. All you got to do is come home. Reach out for his hand. He's for you, not against you. And he will do it again. And what a day that will be.
what a day that will be. Thanks again for listening. If you are in North Alabama, we would love to have you visit and worship with us. Also, if this lesson blessed you today, don't forget to hit the share button and share this message with someone else. Hope you will join us again next week. As we close, here is our prayer for you. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Have a great week.